I'd like you to turn, please, in your Bibles to Hebrews 5 and Hebrews 6. The title today is The Assurance of Mature Faith. Um, I heard a sermon recently on Hebrews 6, and I was struck by the, the danger of the position that's described here of, of a person spiritually, and also the, just the terror of the consequences of what the passage teaches. I was really struck by it. And that was that the people could have characteristics of a Christian, but not be a true believer. And that people can have a period of spiritual enlightenment and be awakened by the Holy Spirit to God. And they can live a life that comes under the word of God. You know, they can do things that the Bible requires. But then fall away to a position from where there's no coming back. And it's a very difficult passage to preach on um, because of these truths. You know, we're familiar with the position in Mark 6 about people who hear the word of God, but they reject it. Like um, in Jesus' hometown in Nazareth, the people who knew Jesus from being a boy despised him. and, And they... You know, in a way, they took offense at it and they rejected his teaching. So there's people that reject God outright and never come close to being a Christian. And then there's people who are Christians, um, but they backslide. Um, they fall away, but they repent and turn back to God. An example would be the prodigal son who lived, who asked for his father's inheritance and took it in a very shameful way, wishing his father were dead, asking for his inheritance. And then he went and spent it all on prostitutes and fine living and debauchery. Um, But when he came back, when he'd spent it all, it humbled him. He was eating uh, food that were fed to the pigs. It's a very uh, shaming thing for a Jewish man to be doing. And when he came back to his father... He didn't ask to come back and be restored to son, being a son. He just wanted to be a servant. And in it, he showed his repentance. He said, I've sinned against heaven and earth. And the father accepted him back lovingly. And the amazing thing about the parable is how loving the father is and how accepting. Um, so there are people who are Christians and may fall away for a long period of time and, and, but then repent and come back as they belong, genuinely belong to God. And God draws them back to himself. He gives them a spirit of repentance. Um, the more worrying person in that story of the prodigal son was the elder brother. Um, I'm assuming you know a bit about the story, but you can read it later if you don't. And the elder brother looked, despised his younger son and said, I have, all these years I've slaved for you and you've given me nothing in return. And the father invites him into the feast at the end to celebrate the returning younger son. But we never find out if he goes in. The the eldest son, um, in this way, rejects the father. So it's the the eldest son, the goody two-shoes, the one who did everything that was required, that was finally, well, perhaps finally rejected. It wasn't the younger son that uh, lived a debauched life. It's not what you think. So there is a position, you know, where people have all the appearance of being a Christian, but they're not saved. And this is this passage that we come to. 
Um, So if we follow the flow of the previous chapters of Hebrews, we see the writer to the Hebrews urging the hearers not to neglect such a great salvation through the eternal Son of God. Uh, Chapter 1 is all about the supremacy of God over the angels, how Jesus is supreme in every way to them. Uh, Also, it says that he's a sympathetic high priest because he suffered uh, like us. And then the writer tells us not to harden our hearts, lest we have an evil, unbelieving heart and fall away from the living God. Like those who fell in the desert in Israel's past when they came out of Egypt, when they crossed the Red Sea, then... After a year later, after they'd been to Sinai and received the Ten Commandments, uh, the people of Israel rebelled. They moaned and were faithless and unbelieving. And because of it, God uh, rejected them. So everyone over the age of about 20, um, because of their lack of faith, because they didn't want to go into the promised land that was given to them, God... um, cut off from himself so everyone who was an adult basically died in the, and perished in the desert without ever seeing the promised land or entering into God's rest which is salvation and it was only the younger ones led by the faithful Joshua and Caleb who entered the promised land who entered God's rest and their sin was unbelief so this take care you don't have an evil unbelieving heart is look, looking back at those people, they're an example, those people who died in the desert. God said, they shall not enter my rest. And then it comes on to Hebrews uh, 4 and 5, where it says, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It divides joint from marrow. It exposes the motives of the heart in the same way it exposed the faithfulness of those, faithlessness of those who fell in the desert. You can't mess around with God. God, he knows your heart. His word is sharper than a double-edged sword. And it will expose any unbelief. Expose the unbelief in your life. So the writer urges us to draw near to our high priest. Hebrews 5. Uh, our high priest Jesus for mercy. And, and Jesus, he knows, he, he knows our weaknesses. He knows how we suffer. He knows how we're tempted He sympathizes with us. And Jesus is also, it says, in chapter 5, he is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. He is a different type of priest from Aaron because he is an eternal high priest. And the writer then is just about to explain what this means when this passage comes in. Chapter 7 goes on to talk about Melchizedek, this mysterious priest and king who met Abraham, who Abraham gave tithes to. But in between, there's this passage. So the big idea today, really, is that spiritual maturity gives us an assurance of our genuine faith. Spiritual maturity gives us an assurance of our genuine faith. And the first point is the importance of maturity. This is a continuation of what I was saying in the introduction. The writer is unable to continue talking about Melchizedek because of their dullness of hearing. If you turn with me to Hebrews 5.11, we'll just read this together. 
About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Can't explain about Melchizedek. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So what is it that convinced me that this is the big idea? Talking about apostasy in this passage, but the overall point is about spiritual maturity giving you an assurance that you are genuinely in the faith. The writer said that he can't explain about Melchizedek because they are dull of hearing. You should be teachers. You need, you need, still need milk. And it's not that they are ready to move on from milk, the basic teachings. They need to go back to the basic teachings in the first place. Uh, chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, tell us about the basics of Christianity. The elementary doctrine of Christ involves Repentance from dead works. So this is repentance from um, seeking to get to know God through outward things, through performance, through obedience to the law and good deeds. In contrast, we can only be forgiven if we cast ourselves on God's mercy, if we repent of dead works, because there's nothing good enough to bring to God when We're desperately wicked in our natural state. We're not good. The Bible tells us that every thought is wicked um, naturally. You know, when we do good things, when we build hospitals um, in third world countries, there's pride. You know, there's all our motives are skewed. If we're really honest with ourselves, none of us is perfect. We all have uh, wrong motives and attitudes. So therefore, we can't be accepted by God based on our deeds. And coming to God through that, he will not accept us. So the elementary teachings are to repent from dead works like that and to just turn to him as we are. Lord, I'm a sinner. I I need forgiveness. I've got no hope outside of you. Then the next element is is faith uh, from this passage, verses 1 to 3. We become part of God's kingdom by faith in Christ. And faith, you know, is not something we generate ourselves. It's a supernatural thing. It's a supernatural reliance on Jesus' death on the cross being for us. Um, God gives us faith as a gift. And it's a, all I can say, it's, it's a trust in him that's come from outside of ourselves. There was a time when we didn't believe in God. Um, we thought it was ridiculous But then comes a time when we do believe in God and we have this trust in him that comes from God himself. And we trust that when Jesus died for us, it was for each one of us personally. It was for me and it was for you. And this faith in Christ, um, faith in his death on the cross for us, gives us a right relationship with God. And the base, he continues, the basic elements include instructions on washings, perhaps the superseding of ceremonial law by faith in Christ. They didn't have to you know, eat separately, wash their hands ceremonially before every meal. 
and, and so on. They're saved by faith alone. And it may even point to baptism too. Um, the laying on of hands was another element of healing and receiving the Holy Spirit. And he also mentions the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So they, were, they needed this milk. These are the basic teachings of Christianity and they needed this um, because they weren't mature. They should be, still be teachers, but they were dull of hearing and hadn't moved on. So what are the mature like? Well, in chapter 5, verse 14, the text says that the mature are those who are able to digest solid food, which is a deeper teaching. It says those who have been trained by the practice of distinguishing good from evil. So being a mature Christian doesn't mean to say that necessarily that you can read and quote Hebrews off by heart. It's not just knowledge. Maturity in the Christian faith is being able to practice it. It's to be able to discern good from evil and to know God's will, to be able to apply his word and examine your own heart and know whether you are right or wrong before God and know what God wants for you and apply doctrines to your own life. Um, this is the same pattern as Romans 1, where Romans talks about uh, living as a living sacrifice to God. Um, they're not to conform to the world's pattern, but discern the will of God in every situation. You know, for each one of us, we live knee-deep in today's culture. You know, certainly when you work, um, you know, you're, you're with people that don't have the same mindset and values as you. And you are to discern what God's will is in that situation and to apply it to your life. And in order to do that, you're to run everything by the filter of the gospel, by the filter of God's word. So, so as to discern how to respond and react. And this is like a mature discernment that comes from a renewing of the mind, Romans says. It's transformation by renewing of the mind. So maturity in of a Christian is those who are practiced at standing against the flow of not taking on the world's attitudes and values, but looking at every situation through the lens of the Bible, through the lens of God and his finding his will. You know, we're to read the Bible prayerfully and meditate and apply it to our own lives. You know that, you know, that when you come before God and you pray to him, then... You know, the Spirit searches you. you. You know, God lays on your heart things that you've done wrong or wrong attitudes that you've got or sins that you keep on doing and that you haven't repented of. And God lays it on your heart. And you, you, know, you, look, you look for where God addresses this in the Bible and you apply it to your life. And you, you grow, you begin to mature as you apply it to your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I don't know, maybe it's gossip or covetousness or unforgiveness or pride or being judgmental, you know. But you, initially you think, well, that's not me. Yeah, I haven't got pride. And there you, there you have. You know, I'm not a gossip. And then you remember, you know, at work, I started talking about that other colleague in an ungracious way. And God gives you light in those things as you apply his word uh, to your heart and you, you, know, you ask God to help you change and you repent of it. 
So mature, Christian maturity, he's saying, is about discerning the will of God and applying it uh, to your life. And you need to leave behind the elementary teachings of mere repentance and faith. Not forget them and not leave them behind, but move on to newer and deeper things. Uh, Timothy says we're to present ourselves as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We're to be mature in our faith. Um, We are to pursue righteousness, love, and faith and peace. And we must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting opponents with gentleness. You know, I think, you know, when I was a young Christian, you know, you would just jump into any debate and you'd jump in with both feet and you'd be doing your best to win the argument Whatever the cost, you know, you'd come out with all guns blazing. And, uh, you know, hopefully as time goes on, you learn to be gentle in the way that you um, point things out to people and loving. And that's, you know, part of maturity. Therefore, we are to leave the basic elements and aim for maturity when we're able to apply the word of God in all circumstances. So, we move on to the second point. When a lack of maturity is apostasy. When a lack of maturity points to apostasy. If you turn with me to Hebrews 6 now, verses 4 to 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, And have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. And then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm. And holding him up to contempt. You know I think that the the thrust of Hebrews so far has been about um, not neglecting your salvation. Avoiding an evil and unbelieving heart. And it really stresses unbelief and not entering God's rest. And then you come to this passage, and it seems to be, you know, there are lots of reasons why people aren't mature. This is not the only reason. But then the the author of this book comes in with this um, um, dramatic statement implying that, you know, a lack of maturity, the reason why maybe some people still need milk and not the meat of the word. They still need the basics. It's perhaps because they're not his. You know, there are people who, um, genuine Christians, who, you know, take a long time to mature and grow and go backwards as well as forwards. But there are some for whom the reason of this lack of development and maturity is that they don't belong to him anyway. So, well, let's look at it. You know, why, why... Why can it be apostasy? Well, as we said, there's been lots of warnings about neglecting salvation, having an evil, unbelieving heart. You know, and maybe this dullness of hearing he talks about and this lack of progress is because of an abandonment or falling away from the Christian faith. And this is what apostasy is. It's abandoning, a willful abandonment of the Christian faith. 
an abandonment of God, a turning your back on God. And verse 4 tells us of a number of spiritual experiences a person can have and yet fall away from faith in Christ. This is a remarkable thing, really, that people can um, seem have all the appearance of a Christian. A bit like the parable of the sower, where the wheat grows up vigorously initially on shallow soil, but when the sun and rain comes and the wind comes, it shrivels up and dies. And it is possible to have all the appearance of a Christian and then for it to be seen to be an imitation and not the real thing. Well, the first thing is then, the first spiritual experience is that you can be enlightened and taste the heavenly gift. In other words, light and truth has come into these people's minds. They've received a knowledge of God through the gospel message and they've publicly confessed it. Perhaps they've been baptized. Um, So, you know, they have responded to the light that comes from the gospel, either through preaching or reading the Bible for themselves. They have tasted the heavenly gift, which is, you know, the word of God and enlightenment. Um, Carrying on in verse 4, they have shared in the Holy Spirit. You know, at some point, the Holy Spirit has moved in their lives. Perhaps at some point, they've been convicted of sin. You know, they've felt that they are not right with God. And they have been awakened to the reality of God and the truth of his existence. You know, maybe they think, yeah, you know, God is real. I know that God is real. So they've shared in the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the goodness of the word of God. In other words, they've come under the influence of its power. And the word of God has shaped their life. You know, maybe they give up swearing. Maybe they uh, start going to church. Um, Maybe they even start to read the Bible to their children. You know, they've tasted the goodness of the word of God and come under its influence. And lastly, they have tasted of the powers of the age to come. Um, Perhaps they've seen miracles happen or, or even been involved in working miracles remarkably. Matthew 7 says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It is possible to to do these things, to prophesy and to cast out demons even and not be saved. They've tasted the power of God. It's possible to have experienced all of these things and yet not be saved. What a terrifying thought for ourselves or for, for those we love. You know, perhaps we've got somebody in mind who, who's experienced the things of God uh, that we've mentioned, the enlightenment and the spirit and so on, but then they've fallen away and never come back. And it's a terrifying thought. And even more terrifying, perhaps, is verse 4. It is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightenment. It's impossible uh, to repent. And I think that the passage is not saying that God won't accept repentant people because he will. It's just that for some people it's impossible for them to actually repent 
They no longer have a, the spirit of uh, repentance in them. No, their hearts are so hard, they're simply unable to turn back to God. Even if they're convicted that there's something wrong in their lives. You know, what an awful thought. Esau wanted to repent and inherit his blessing. Um, Hebrews 12 talks about it. Um, I'll read it for you. Hebrews 12, verses 15 to 17. He says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. He sold his birthright, his inheritance, for a single meal. For you know that afterward he desired to inherit the blessing. He gave it up to Jacob, and afterwards he desired to inherit it. But he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. It is possible, therefore, to have extreme regret over uh, doing the, turning your back on God, but not real repentance. And even tears. You know, one of the pastors, uh, and who was a commentator, said he's had people in his study in tears on their knees begging, you know, for forgiveness, begging or begging for help from the minister. And he said when he probed a bit deeper they were unable to repent or give up on these you know one or two key things that ensnared them you know maybe a wrong relationship or something like that they were unable to repent from it even though they were in tears even though they knew that they were wrong they were unable to turn from it and this is the situation he's saying it's impossible to restore again to repentance those who've once been enlightened but it's a terrifying thought, especially when you know, we think about loved ones who uh, are in that position. They may not be able to repent. Hebrews warns against this hardness of heart, this evil, unbelieving heart that leads you to fall away from the living God. You know, I think that people who have experienced this enlightenment of the truth, uh, even like Pharaoh in, in Egypt... They've been enlightened and they have been convinced of the truth of God's word and of where they, even where they stand. But they're unable to um, return to him. They're unable to repent because of hardness of heart. And I think, or, you know, sometimes, because this passage implies a turning back to God, that people have experienced God in their souls but they've put off turning to him. But if they've experienced um, an enlightening and they've you know, even had a conviction of sin, sometimes it's impossible for people many years later on to turn to him. Because you know, the Bible does say there's a, you know, the day is now. Don't harden your heart. Turn to God. Uh, whilst you have the chance, in effect, don't put it off. You may not be able to do it again. So there is this hardening of heart and, and a place where it's impossible to come back from. But this is not talking about people who are genuine Christians. There's all the assurance in the children's talk, for example, that once you're gods, none can snatch you from the Father's hands. 
You are God's for eternity if you belong to him. But yet there is this um, willful rejection of him once you've been enlightened to him that is, there's no coming back from because you are unable to repent. And the, the warning is don't let yourselves have this evil, unbelieving heart. If you think there's any chance, then turn to God whilst you still can, whilst times of refreshing are, are available to you, whilst your heart is still tender enough to repent and to turn from your uh, unbelieving ways and turn to him. Or else you may get to a point where it becomes impossible why? Well, verse 6 says, For if they fall away again, they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own contempt. They're crucifying once again the Son of God to their own contempt. In, in a way, <clears throat> when people reject God and harden themselves against him, they're renouncing their faith that they've been enlightened to. And they're declaring that Christ's cross is not a holy sacrifice for sin and that the world becomes offers a better place. In a way, they become like those who crucified Christ. They become like the people who nailed him to the cross. So like unbelief nailed Christ to the cross. So that's one reason, you know, why the passage says they're crucifying once again the Son of God. That's why there comes a point where they can't turn back because they'll be crucifying him over again because they are identifying with those who crucified him to the cross by rejecting him. The second reason is that they value the world more than they value Christ. So when a person chooses against Christ and turns back to the way of the world because when there's this hardening of heart and rejection of God you're not turning back to a vacuum you're turning back to the world you're turning back to all those things that you used to love and cherish and value all the sin you used to enjoy you're saying that's of more value than Christ you're saying it's of more worth than Christ is worth um, you, you want that more than the power of Christ and all that God promises to be for us in Christ. When you say that, you're saying, I agree with the crucifiers of Christ, says the commentator. You know, because what could shame Christ more than to have somebody taste his goodness and his wisdom and his power and say, there's something better to be desired. Because when you fail to repent, when you turn away from that enlightenment and that touching of the Holy Spirit in your heart, you're saying that I value everything else in the world more than Christ. I value all those things that I used to enjoy and lust after and love and covet. You're saying I enjoy those things and value them more than I enjoy Christ. And against that, there can be no turning back. You cannot then from there repent and turn to Christ because you'll be crucifying him all over again because they value the world more than they value Christ. Christ's death is a once-for-all sacrifice and cannot be repeated. Hebrews 10 says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. So a lack of maturity may be many things, but it may be due to a lack of genuine faith a, a willful turning away from God when you've already been enlightened 
a valuing of the world more than Christ when you've been shown in your heart that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It is a terrible position to be in. So before I leave you with those thoughts, I'd just like to finish with a, a few words of assurance. Uh, the next few verses of Hebrews 6 to go on from verse 7 to 12 do give assurance. There's verses 7 and 8 that talk about um, those who value the world more than Christ, who turn from him and cannot repent as those who will be uh, burnt up like thorns and thistles. But um, God, he also says, let me find the passage. He also gives assurances by saying, that's not you. Verse 9, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. What a comfort. You know, the, I've mentioned all these uh, dreadful things that not, not, not being possible to turn back to God if we've been enlightened and reject it. But you know, as Christians, we do mess up. As Christians, we do grow cold and have persistent wrong attitudes that we need to repent of. You know, we'll stop going to church sometimes. We grow cold. But if we are genuinely his, then we belong to him. And, and that he's saying to most of them in his letter to the Hebrews. Verse 10 says that he doesn't, God doesn't overlook their work and their love. They had a genuine love for other Christians, the saints. You know, they demonstrated their saving faith through their love and their works. And he desires that each one has the same assurance of hope to the end. And so it, is, so it is for us, those who are genuinely his, even though we go through horrendous problems, there are wonderful verses. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. John 6. I shall lose none of those who he has given me, but raise him up on the last day. I give them eternal life, John 10, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And finally, 1 Peter 1, 5 says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, our God is a wonderful God. He, he preserves his people our faith is not based on our own effort. Our continuing uh, growth in grace is not us. It's God who will keep us safe and secure to the end. It's God who guards our faith and protects it to the end. You know, we have a, a wonderful God and there is such security in Christ knowing that once we've been saved and forgiven, then it is for all time because he guards our salvation ready to the last time. But I would finish by saying, be sure you are in the faith. You know, is this you? Have you been enlightened? Have you had the Holy Spirit and a conviction of sin, but have turned away from it? You know, it, it may not be too late. Be sure that your heart is not hardened beyond the point of no return. Because if it is, there'll be no way back to God. But get on your knees and repent and ask him to give you repentance. Because the gift of rep the repentance is a gift. 
You don't drum it up yourself. God gives you repentance in the same way that he gives you faith. He transforms your heart to turn away from sin and to turn to him. So pray, pray and plead with him to give you a genuine spirit of repentance and that loves him and doesn't want to live in the way of, of the world anymore. So for the... A growth in spiritual maturity shows us that we love the deep things of God and we're growing. There are many ways that you might still be a a beginner Christian 40 years on. But, you know, be warned. Be, Be careful that you are in the faith and that you are not outside of Christ. And that your heart, you're letting your heart become too hard to turn to him. Amen.